At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, it's Monique. Welcome back to the podcast or welcome if this is your first time listening. This is the Brown Vegan Podcast, episode 142. And with this show, I love to present veganism from a practical perspective to help everyday people go vegan in a way that feels good to them. I also love to share overall wellness and vegan entrepreneurship topics because it's so much more than food. It truly is a lifestyle. Be sure to come hang out with me on Instagram and YouTube. I'm Brown Vegan on both of those platforms. So yes, I hope you're having an amazing week. I'm so excited that you're here. Thank you so much for listening and supporting the show as always. Today on the show, I have Danny, or a lot of you guys know her as Damn Good Vegan. So many people asked me to bring her back on the show because over the last couple of years since she was here, there's been so much that happened in her life. So many amazing things have happened. And of course, I just had to have Danny back on to share her updated story. Last time she was on the show, that was actually episode 103. And she talked about all of the steps you need to take to go vegan. It was very practical. Definitely go check out those tips on that episode. But today we're actually going to talk about how Danny went from no children to four children in the last two years, her finding love during quarantine. We talk about all of the things that happened with her having her prima, her baby prematurely as far as being a vegan mom in a NIC unit and how she really had to advocate for her baby to make sure that she got the treatment that she deserves. We also chat about Danny's family plans to travel in a school bus to explore the country with her children that she homeschools. Be sure to follow Danny on Instagram at damngoodvegan. And also you can get the show notes and everything mentioned in this episode at brownvegan.com. So yes, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right into the conversation. It's so much, Danny, that we could talk about and we will talk about just everything that has happened since the last time you were on the show, which I feel like was a lot. And you were only on the show, what, like a year and a half ago? Yeah, <laughs> a year and a half ago. Let's start with the love, though. OK, so you found love after that. Tell us about your love story, because yes. I know that you are so open about that. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Because I was literally sharing it in real time as it was happening, but it was a pandemic love story. And so in the midst of all the stuff that was going on in 2020, you know, I honestly was just like any other person that was quarantined and at home. And so, well, I guess let me back up a little bit. So before the quarantine hit, I was in a past relationship. And so right, so I was getting out of that relationship as we're moving into being quarantined. And so that really allowed for me to go within and spend time with myself because I had already done a lot of work, spiritual work and emotional work where I had those tools that I knew I needed in order to 
process and get through those emotions that can come with a breakup. And so I did that. I was like, you know what? I'm healing my heart. I'm preparing for love again because I know it's going to happen. And something inside of me just told me it's going to happen and it's going to happen fast. So be prepared right now. So I, you know, I was having such a good time in quarantine. I found TikTok and really started enjoying (laughs) TikTok during that time. And then fast forward to June, well, actually in May, I had joined a group on Facebook called the Black Planters Group. And it's all about Black people who want to learn about indoor gardening or who have a love for indoor plants and things like that. So I joined it because I had moved into my new apartment and I had a couple plants and I just wanted to keep them alive. And I thought this might be a cool group. So for some reason I was up late one night and they had posted one of those, like post a selfie if you're single type of post. And (laughs) I usually don't participate because it's typically a lot of women and no men on those posts, but I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll post my selfie. So I went ahead and did that. And then I scrolled to see who, who else had posted. And there was only three guys and like a hundred women. And so, (laughs) but out of those three guys, somebody caught my eye. So I went to his page and then I noticed that he was posting a lot of stuff about health and wellness and he sold herbal products and, you know, and and he kind of talked about vegan, but didn't really explicitly say whether he was vegan or not. And I was like, Oh, this is cool. And then, but I noticed he lived in Miami. So At that point, I didn't really take it as a love interest because at this time I'm living in Baltimore, but I did decide to send him a message, a direct message. And I was like, Hey, I really love your page. I like your vibe and I like your products that you're selling. Can I send you a friend request? Cause I would love to promote my products to the people that I know in South Florida. Cause my whole family lives down here. And so that sparked a conversation. He's like, sure. Yeah. Send me the, DM, the the friend request. And then from there, we literally did not stop talking. It was just back and forth because <laughs> he checked out my page and was like, oh, I see you're an author. I see you do this. I see you're vegan. Tell me more. And so he wasn't vegan at the time, but he had been exploring veganism over the last like six, seven years. And so we just connected immediately. And then the conversation went from a DM to a FaceTime to spending almost (laughs) 24 hours on FaceTime. And then we pretty much solidified our relationship in the first 11 days of talking on the phone. And then, yes, it was just like that. The thing is, is Some people would have thought, man, that's moving really, really fast. And it depends. It depends on, I think, the quality of that time spent. Because during those first 11 days of us getting to know each other, we weren't talking about superficial things. We were talking about things that were important. We talked about finances. We talked about credit. We talked about how we wanted to raise our children. We talked about how we wanted to live as far as the whole off-grid thing, which we can touch on a little bit too within this conversation. And we we just talked about all of those things that I think are important for building a life with each other. So we kind of knew we're on the same path. We have the same goals and we like each other, you know, like a friendship level. So why not explore what this relationship could look like? You know, sometimes it takes people years to even address or it takes people having to go to counseling or things like that. And we really got into the meat of it early. and. It was funny because after, you know, the initial getting to know each other, there were things that 
we didn't know about each other, like what's your favorite food and what's your favorite color, (laughs) but that stuff didn't really matter because obviously by being in a relationship, you're going to learn those things. And Mm -hmm. so, but the most important things, we got that out the way and we we realized that we are on the same path. We want the same things and why not see how this relationship goes? And so we made it official over the phone, hadn't even met each other in person yet. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I know, right? That seems so scary, but it was just so aligned and it felt so right. And he just felt like my person at that moment. So after that, he made plans to fly to Baltimore to come meet me. And so that happened 30 days later, which was like the longest 30 days of my life because (laughs) we wanted to meet each other, but it was good because we kept talking, we kept connecting, we kept making sure that this was right. So those 30 days was so enriching for us because we, we, those conversations we initially had just went a lot deeper. And then we started realizing like, we really like each other. And even more than that, we love each other. And so when we met, it was just perfect. It was like the icing on the cake, like, okay, I, I actually can be around this person. They smell good because, you know, you got to be attracted to the person's smell. And so they mm. smell good. They, they feel good in my presence. And we spent four days together and, and it was just so it was so magical. So then after that, I flew to Florida and I spent pretty much the rest of the summer. I was going to say, because I feel like when you flew to Florida, you never came back. <laughs> pretty much. Exactly. I came back twice. I basically came back once in between to like go visit another friend. And then I came back again to pack up and then move to Florida. And so, and then I moved in September and he flew up to come to my going away parties. And then we all drove down and then we got engaged that same weekend. And then a month later we got married on 1010 and we just had a small, I guess you could call it an elopement. It was just me and him. And then my godfather, he officiated it virtually. And we had a virtual reception where we were still able to, you know, receive the love and support from our friends and family. And that was beautiful. And we had hired a vegan chef that's lo- local to South Florida. And she came in and just laid it out for us. We had four or five course brunch. Yeah, it was brunch because it was in the morning time. We had a sunrise wedding and it was just beautiful. It was perfect. And then after that, when we cut off the cameras for the virtual reception, we enjoyed a weekend of just a beautiful honeymoon. And we went to the beach, we swam, we took a boat ride. It was just beautiful. And then after that, two months later, we conceived our baby girl. And that was like, And we wanted that. We had been actually preparing that. We'll talk about that too, but we were preparing for her really from the moment we met, which is kind of insane to even think about, but everything was just falling in line. And so here we are a year later, we just celebrated our year anniversary in October and our daughter is now four months old. And it's just, I'm just so excited that this is my story. It's one of my favorite love stories. Wow. Oh my goodness. And let's also talk about the fact that when you got into this relationship, he already had three small children. So from you to go from no children to three bonus children, how was that transition? You know, at first I thought it would be I thought it would be bad or hard, I should say. I thought it would be hard. Yeah, I was thinking that. Yeah, I would think it would be hard too. That's why I want to know. <laughs> yeah, because I had I was a stepchild. 
And I knew how that relationship was. And so fast forward to taking on three stepchildren, which I only, I call them my bonus babies because I just do not like the word stepchild because I think because of my relationship with my step parent. And so when I met them though, it was like, I don't know. I don't know if we met in past lifetimes. I don't know what it was, but instantly they loved me. They hugged me. They kissed me. It was like they already knew me and it was such a beautiful feeling. And so at the beginning, you know, there was that initial connection. And then over the next few months, it just went from, okay, that's Danny, but to, oh, that's, that's our bonus mom. Or sometimes they call me mom, you know, it just really depends on how they're feeling, but it's like in, in such a short period of time, we have made such amazing, an amazing connection where they see me as someone who is loving them, protecting them, nurturing them. And just like any mom, you know, in, in the household, all the kids, they come to you for everything. They walk right past dad and come to me. (laughs) So I'm no different. And that's how I know I've really, I've really connected with them. And, and yeah. And so now here we are a year later, still in this pandemic situation and we homeschool all of our children. So they're with us all the time. We have the kids full time and, and yeah, we're just a family of now six, but adjusting to mom life, you know, on the other end, as far as me personally, going from being single to now having a husband and having three children, that was definitely an adjustment on my end as far as having those boundaries of still taking care of myself so that I can take care of them. And Mm -hmm. so I slowly found that balance. I and my husband figured out, okay, how can we do this? And so I have a day when I can go take off from the family and do what I need to do. And I did that. And, you know, sometimes I go get my nails done or spend the day at the beach or something like that. And then we share responsibilities with everything in the household. So it makes it easier for everything to run and maintain as it should. But, you know, without those healthy boundaries between me and my children and even me and my husband, it at first was very overwhelming. But then after implementing those things and really getting into a groove, and all of us knowing what to expect. It's gotten so much better. Now it's just like, it's easy. It's easy to take care I of my love children. It. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. I love this so much. That is great. And then let's talk about the food too, because I know that when you met your babies, your bonus babies, they were not vegan. And you since then have been able to help transition them into being vegan. So how does that look for your family? Like, what are the kids enjoying? What do they like to eat? Do they help you cook? Like what, whatever you want to share when it comes to, you know, having vegan kids. Absolutely. Yeah. So when we met, they were just eating a standard American diet, especially when they were with their mom. But when they were with my husband, they ate a little healthier. They, they love fruit. And we live in South Florida where we have some of the best fruit options. So they really indulged in fruit. So it wasn't a hard transition with getting them to eat more fruit. It was the vegetables, the green stuff. and things that just were, weren't as sweet. So at first we started off with vegan replacements. Like we might make them vegan chicken nuggets or vegan corn dogs or vegan quesadillas. And they loved those. And, you know, it was easy for them to identify, okay, this is what I, it, it was like replacements that they normally have. And so that worked really well. But then we just started to feel like 
we don't want to overload them with too much junk because some of that is still junk food. And then, and also we wanted to take pressure off of us to have to make multiple meals at dinner time or at lunchtime. We just wanted to make whatever's for dinner and then serve that to them. And also during this transition, my husband and I also decided to go oil-free, gluten-free, refined sugar-free, and wow. sodium. So we we're knocking out a lot of these extra things. And so it just didn't feel right for us to be eating a certain way. And then we're, we're giving it to our children because if we believe that this is best for our bodies, why wouldn't we do that for our children? So what we started doing was we just started cooking whatever we cooked and slowly giving it to them. And some nights they were like, I'm not eating. I'd rather go to bed hungry than eat whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And it was, uh, we just, we were okay with that. We were like, okay, well, that's fine. Or we might give them something that they want, maybe like some fresh fruit that was easy to, to get. But we were like, we're not making anything extra or separate. And then I also found ways to incorporate health into things that they liked, like making a cacao smoothie with dates and bananas, which they love that because it's sweet. And then I would add in other additives like our flax seeds and hemp seeds. And I would put sea moss in there and all that stuff. And they wouldn't even notice that all this was in there. But after a few months, they actually started to really adjust to the foods that we were making. So they got to the point where they were able to eat whatever we were making for dinner and not only eat it and tolerate it, they actually would request things and love it. So they love things like we make everything, but we make tacos, we make lots of soups. So they love soups too, especially split pea soup, which I think is so interesting because as a kid, I hated split pea soup. (laughs) but they love it. Yeah. And one of their favorite meals is actually when we make a loaded sweet potato. And so we take sweet potato, we make kale salad, put that on top with black beans and avocado. And so we just really veganize a lot of the things that we typically used to eat, but we just make them a little healthier, take the oil out, take, use less salt and all of that. And they've adjusted really well, but we've made some other major changes in the last, in the, in like the last few weeks actually. So we've decided to go to a a raw diet and the kids are coming along with us. So it's been at this point of recording this podcast, it's been about two weeks and they've already adjusted really well. And we are actually so proud of them, but we know that it, it was because over the last year, we've slowly prepped them for this. We were taking things out of their diet, adding more, and now they're really enjoying eating a raw diet and we're not really getting any pushback. They're just, I mean, there's certain things where they're like, okay, I don't want to, I don't feel like eating tomatoes, but otherwise like they're, they're really adjusting. And it was really about taking it slow and letting them kind of guide us, you know, if they're like, okay, I don't want to eat this tonight. It's like, okay, well, maybe we'll try again tomorrow. And then, you know, slowly over time, they got a lot more adjusted to the ways that we were eating. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. So I know, of course, that you guys from the very beginning wanted to have baby Sage. So what steps did you take? Because I feel like your brand, it, it has definitely expanded since we initially met. So you were focused more on just vegan food in the beginning. And now I feel like you're talking more about fertility 
and preconception and vegan pregnancy and all of that because of your experience with having sage prematurely and then being in a NICU for 30 days. So I feel like that, of course, has changed your brand so much. What steps did you take in the beginning to get pregnant with Sage? Because you said you knew from the beginning that you were going to have her. Back in May of 2020, before I even met my husband, I met with a doula that I had known for many years because I knew that love was coming. I just had a feeling deep down. And I knew also that when me and my husband met, I would want to have children. And at this point, I didn't even know that I was going to meet him. Okay. And I just knew that I wanted to prepare my body. And so I met with the doula. She gave me a general idea of what I should be focusing on, like my health, food, nutrition, exercise, things like that. So I went ahead and put a, a plan together on how I wanted to get to the other side, as far as how do I get from where I'm at now to feeling a lot healthier. And, and though I wasn't, I wouldn't say at the time I felt unhealthy, I just knew I could do better. And the first part of my plan was to detox because I knew I wanted to just get out any junk. And cause I, I wasn't necessarily like, I mean, I was vegan, but I wasn't eating the best vegan food or the healthiest vegan foods, especially, I mean, we're in the midst of a pandemic as well. So I think there was a lot more eating happening for all of us. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. And then, and, and then also I was doing other things like I was smoking marijuana at the time. I wasn't a drinker, so that really wasn't a thing. I was drinking sodas. And so I just knew I wanted to like get, get my body right. And so I went ahead and said, first thing I'm going to do is water fast. So I'm going to do a three day water fast the first weekend in June. And so mind you, two weeks later, I meet my husband online in this group and we were having these conversations and I'm telling him, okay, well this weekend coming up, I'm doing a water fast. He's like, oh, that's interesting. I like to water fast. My longest water fast is 29 days. And I'm like, Mm. well, wow, you're the freaking your Jesus. <laughs> I mean, that's just like <laughs> amazing, right? To, for anybody to do anything extended like that. So then I told him, well, let's do it together. And he was like, okay, I'll join you. But if I join you, you have to go four days. So I was like, okay, you're going to push me like that. That's cool. So we actually kind of bonded over water fasting because at the beginning of our, I mean, this is four days after us meeting. We start our water fast together and did it over the phone, obviously. And then he helped me over the, uh, along the way as well, because he had the experience. So I was able to reach out to him and say, Hey, okay, I'm feeling like this. I'm feeling like that. What can I do? Or is this normal? And he also knew the reason why I was water fasting was because I have the plans of preparing my body for pregnancy. And he, one of the things he said, he wants more children. So I'm like, okay, great. We're on the same wavelength with that. And then when he realized that I was doing all these things to prepare, he was like, well, okay, let me go ahead and do my research to see what I need to do to prepare. So that I just fell in love with that. Cause I'm like, okay, he's proactive. He wants more children and he's willing to do the work for us to prepare because with with preconception preparation, it's not just on the women, it's on the male partners as well to prepare. And actually, it's actually the the male sperm accounts for 60% of the condition of your future child's health. So the man is even more important in preparing if you want your children to have excellent health once they're born. 
So yeah, so then, you know, water fasting was one of the things. So we did that every single month. We did a three-day water fast every month for from June until December and in, or November, sorry. And then in November, we started alternate day fasting. And that's where we would eat for, I had 12 hour window one day, and then we would fast for 36 hours and then do 12 hours and just keep going in that rhythm. And we did that for six weeks. Yeah, six weeks. And then towards the end of the six weeks, I started feeling this incessant need to eat on my fasting days. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going crazy. And then plus my my bonus baby, the oldest, or my son, he was like, Danny's pregnant. Danny's having a baby. He kept saying that. And we're like, what? Come to find out I was actually pregnant. And he told me before I even knew I was pregnant. Two weeks before I knew, he told me. And then that hunger that came when I was fasting was my body telling me, okay, it's time to break your fast. It's time to eat because we have a baby that's growing inside of you. So that was really awesome. Like that whole experience, but water fasting was one of the best ways for me to regain control of my health. I really regulated and eradicated my IBS condition and every, all the other bodily functions just started to get back to feeling normal. I started feeling my best and I lost some weight. I lost about 20 pounds and yeah, you know, pandemic weight. So I gained the pandemic weight and then I lost 20 pounds through water fasting over those six months or six or seven months. And outside of water fasting though, we also changed our diet. Like I mentioned, took out the gluten, the oil, the fine sugars and went low sodium. We started exercising, doing more yoga, practicing more mindfulness, things like meditation. And at the time I was doing more yoni steaming and, oh, and also taking cold showers. That's another thing that we actually didn't know that could help with fertility until after we got pregnant, but we were doing it for longevity. So it's, it's supposed to be, it's supposed to help you live longer if you take cold showers. And so that's why we were doing it. But come to find out, it also increases your risk for fertility, especially in our male partners, because it'll increase the sperm activity. So, so yeah, so that's pretty much what we did to prepare for pregnancy. And I just think it's so cool that I had this meeting with the doula. And then two weeks later, I meet my husband and we're we had a baby a year later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because most people don't even think to meet with a doula until they're already pregnant. So the fact that you were proactive, yeah, that's very different, very different. It's Monique hopping in to thank Ruby for sponsoring this episode of the show. So there's a few things you need to think about when you decide that you want to go vegan and cooking is one of it. It's actually a huge part of it. But don't feel discouraged if you're not cooking much now. I actually didn't cook a lot before I became vegan. But the cool thing about Ruby is that they make cooking less intimidating. They're the leading online culinary school that specializes in plant-based instruction and they teach over 650,000 students worldwide. Of course, we know we can find recipes on any website, but Ruby is much different than that because they have industry leading chef instructors that provide you with core techniques behind plant based cooking. So you'll finish with the knowledge and the confidence to live a sustainable and delicious plant based lifestyle. It's all about techniques and quality recipes with them. Their chef instructors provide you with personalized feedback on your assignments and they're available for Q&A if you need additional assistance. 
The cool thing about Ruby is they do have different levels based on your needs. So if you're brand new to cooking, I recommend starting with the Introduction to Plant-Based Cooking course. They have lessons on stocking your pantry, knife skills, plant-based nutrition, and basic cooking methods. But if you're someone who knows your way around the kitchen, but you're not the most confident about plant-based cooking, I recommend that you try their Plant-Based Pro course. They recently updated it with over 25 hours of new content, including lessons on bread making and grilling. Whichever level you decide to choose, Ruby's Culinary School is affordable, it's 100% online for your convenience, and they offer high quality videos and assessments. So all you need to do now is visit ruby.com slash brownvegan to learn more about their courses and also to sign up for a 14-day trial. Once again, that's ruby, R-O-U-X-B-E dot com slash brownvegan. So how was your pregnancy overall? Because I feel like it felt like, I mean, on social media, it looks like everything was going well. And But then I know that Sage came early. So tell us about that. Like, how did you feel during your pregnancy and how far were you when she came? So my pregnancy was so amazing. I was actually really sad that it ended early because I felt good up until the day I had the baby. And I had so much energy. I mean, really at the beginning before I was showing up until I would say 15, 16 weeks, I almost forgot I was pregnant because I'm like, I just feel so good. The only symptom I could say, or the two symptoms that I had was I was fatigued, which obviously you're growing a human. And so that's going to, that's going to hit you at the beginning. But then when we cleaned up our sleep hygiene, I was sleeping a lot better. And that actually got better. My fatigue went away and I was able to power through the day and get everything done and then sleep really soundly at night. And it will up until the end. Cause at the end, when you have a baby in your belly, it's just <laughs> uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You get very, yeah. very much so. <laughs> exactly. And then in week 14 through 17, I had this annoying congestion thing going on. But outside of that, I felt great. I had no constipation, no heartburn, no skin breakouts. Cause they say girls take your beauty and your skin's supposed to break out. None of that <laughs> happened for me. I was just, I was basking in the glory and the beauty of pregnancy and truly enjoyed it. And yeah. And then she came at 31 weeks. Now that was a surprise to us because, you know, I just knew I was going to go the whole way. And I really, I thought I was actually going to go over because most women, their first pregnancy, they go over a little bit. And so one day I had taken the kids to go roller skating. And so I'm, you know, I'm watching them roller skate. I'm not roller skating, obviously, because I'm pregnant and I'm watching roller skate and but I'm feeling this heaviness. I'm like, okay, what is this? And I honestly felt like I needed to go to the bathroom just all morning long. And, but nothing was happening. So I'm like, oh, okay. I don't know what this is, but I'm just feeling heavy. Maybe her head's down. I don't know. Maybe she's changing positions. Well, we get home a couple hours later. And by the time I get home, I'm still, I'm feeling even heavier. And then I go to the bathroom and I'm spotting. So I'm like, okay, this is different because I hadn't spotted my whole pregnancy. There was no complications, nothing that would have made me think something was, was different. And so when I saw that, and I, then I started to feel pain in my back. And I'm like, okay, let me just lay down. And then Kellen was working on this, the bus at the time. So he wasn't even at the house. And so I called him and I was like, ah, oh, this is happening, but I don't know if you should come home. I'll let you know. So he's like, okay. I called my best friend and then I was on the phone with her for 
probably like two hours because she's like, I don't know what's happening, but let's just keep track of how you feel because I was get, I was going in waves. Like I would have this back pain, then it would back off. It would come back, but it was very irregular. Sometimes it's every 15 minutes, sometimes every two minutes, sometimes every five minutes. And so I didn't really think it was labor. I just thought, I really didn't know what it was. I thought maybe I was just in pain. I needed to rest. And so let me just lay down. Well, after about two hours, it started to intensify and the pain got a little more intense. So I went ahead and called Kelly and I'm like, okay, you should come home. Let's go to the hospital just to make sure that everything's okay. So he comes home, but we're taking our time because it wasn't that bad. And so we're taking our time. We got the kids situated with our neighbor and we went to the hospital. So I get to the hospital and they check me in and, you know, take my blood pressure, do all that stuff. And then they tell me, they're like, you're, you're definitely having contractions, but you're not in active labor. So these are the things that we can do for you. So they gave me a list of all these things like, okay, we want to give you this and the steroid and this and that. And that. I mean, it was just a lot of stuff. Mind you, I'm planning for a home birth. So this is not the place oh, I wow. wanted to be. <laughs> this is not of the place. Not. Yeah, yeah. And, and I remember actually being quite upset. As soon as I walked in the hospital, I started crying because I was just like, I don't want to be here, especially in the midst of a pandemic. I just did not want to be there. I didn't feel comfortable. I was like, I don't want to have my baby in a hospital. I don't know any of these people. It just didn't feel safe. And, and, um, and plus being a black woman, we know why hospitals don't feel safe. And so I, but I went through, obviously I wanted, I went through, I wanted to make sure my baby was okay. And they ended up basically telling me that my bag was bulging and my bat, my water could burst at any time. So I needed to take certain things to potentially slow labor and also make sure her lungs were developed. But so me and my husband, I'm, we're researching stuff because they're telling us the benefits of these things, but they're not necessarily telling us the risks as well. They're telling the risk of not taking it, but they're not telling the risks of taking all of these things that they're offering. So me and my husband, we're doing research because I'm not just going to have somebody just inject me or put anything in my body until I know and have consented. And I reached out to my doula and I asked her, you know, what she thought about everything. And so there was a lot of things that I refused and they thought I was crazy. Okay. These people in the hospital looked at me like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what do you mean you don't want this and you don't want, this is what we do. We're the professionals. And I'm like, yeah, but you, for, you failed to tell me that this is the risks in me going along with your plan. And so we actually ended up leaving the hospital. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Which is so crazy to think about. We left the hospital because I was feeling very overwhelmed. And I wasn't, I was actually, the, the contractions were actually subsiding. So I'm like, okay, well, maybe it's slowing. And maybe that was just a, you know, Braxton Hicks or it was just a thing. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go home. And so we left the hospital. We got home. And as soon as I got home into my warm, safe space, active labor hits. And I was like, whoa, this is intense. So the pain in my back, and I only had back labor. So my, the pain in my back was just very intense. And I was having contractions. It was like, you know, I could just tell, okay, this is happening. So we were looking for natural ways to slow labor and to see if we could stop it. But we didn't have those resources on hand. And after a couple hours of laboring, I ended up going back to the hospital because it just felt like this is too much. I don't really know 
what's going to happen next. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and because I'm so early, I I do want to be in the hospital so that my baby can be taken care of. And so Mm -hmm. we went back to the hospital, got back to the hospital about midnight. And then at this point I've already been examined and everything. So they rushed me in and they're like, okay, what would you like for us to do for you? And that I appreciated that because I'm like, okay, now they understand where I'm coming from. And I'm going to tell you what I would like for you, how you, how you can serve me. And so I told them what I wanted. I accepted the magnesium to try to slow the labor. I did request pain management. I didn't want an epidural, but I did want a little something to take the edge off, but it took mm-hmm. them hours to give that to me. So that was a little, that was something that's like, okay, you're disregarding me, but okay. So, which was fine because at the end of the day, by the time they gave me the first round of pain management, the baby was already coming. So I didn't even really need it. So, yeah. yeah, So I labored for another three hours in the hospital. And then at 3 a.m., my water broke in the most dramatic way. It like shot out of me. (laughs) And I was like, okay, this baby clearly wants to be here now. And I pushed for seven minutes, four pushes, and she was out. And I, it was, and of course you've had children and that's, that feeling is just like overwhelming at that time. Like, oh my gosh, I just birthed the baby, all your hormones, everything is just flooding over you. And they put the baby on me, but it was only for a second because they had to take her to the NICU. So that was the hard part, you know, but again, I was really just caught up in all the things that were still going on. I still had to birth my placenta which that was probably the worst part of it all. And again, I just, this is the part that I really didn't appreciate about my hospital experience was the birth was fine. And, but the birthing of the placenta, it seemed very rushed. It felt like, okay, well, we have other things to do. We got to get this placenta out of you so that you can, we can move on to the next thing. And that's the only thing that I would have like to be a little different just to take my time to allow my placenta to contract and for me to birth it naturally. But the doctor was just kind of like all up in me trying to get it out. And I didn't appreciate that too much. But here we are. It's okay. It's I'm alive and I'm well and everything is still functioning as it should. But then the baby now is in the NICU. So what does this all mean? This is not something I planned for. This is not something that I even understood what that would look like. We had no idea how long she would be in there. So that was a journey within itself, the NICU. I want to talk about that. Before we get there, though, I want to I want to know this. I want to know whether or not you had like a, any sense of guilt about anything about this process as far as and I know it might seem like a weird, weird question, but it but the reason I want to know is because you were so proactive as far as making sure that you were able to get pregnant, making sure that you had a healthy pregnancy. Did you have moments where you kind of second guess any of the decisions you made, including water fasting? Did that ever come up for you? Absolutely not. I am truly a believer of everything in divine timing. And I just believe that my baby was meant to be born on the date that she was born. And so though there's probably things that, well, I can say this, as far as her coming early, one thing that I would do on any future pregnancies is prepare. One of the things I didn't do as well was prepare in a physical way as far as strengthening my body, strengthening my pelvic floor. Those were things that I didn't 
I didn't do as well. I kind of started late in the game with that. And the six months of us prepping wasn't enough for me to do that. And so I think with next, the next pregnancy, there will be more of that strengthening so that the baby can have a stronger base to hold them up. And, but outside of that, no, no, I didn't have any regrets on what happened. I just felt like everything happens for a reason. And I'm actually grateful for my experience because I can now help other women to prepare for the unforeseen, you know, circumstances when going to the NICU, because in all of my, all the things that I did to prepare and the groups that I were in, no one talked about what it looks like to be in the NICU, to have a NICU plan. Yes. Have your birth Mm -hmm. plan, have your, and if you're doing a hospital plan or if you're having a home birth, have your hospital home birth just in case of emergency, but nothing talked about the NICU plan. And that's something that I'm definitely passionate about educating because that's where I had to learn so much about advocating for my baby, especially as a vegan mother. And because they're not respecting you as somebody that's vegan, they actually think that you're inferior because you're, you're choosing a vegan diet. But we'll talk about that during the NICU when I talk about the NICU experience. Yeah. But- yeah, but, I'm ready you know. to get into that now. Ready? I'm ready okay. to get into that now. Yeah, what? because when I remember when you were, because you know Sage was in the NICU for 30 days, and just you would talk about some of those experiences as far as being having pushback because they wanted to do certain things that you weren't comfortable with, and I feel like that's a whole nother level of you know, like you said, having a birth plan is one thing, but having an emergency plan for this type of situation, most people aren't even considering that because. You know, we all expect to have healthy pregnancies and everything to go well, especially when you're proactive the way that you were. So like, yeah, let's talk about talk about that. Like, what were some of the things that they pushed back on as far as the treatment for Sage? So at the beginning, we you know, when you first have a baby, it takes a couple of days for the colostrum to come through, your milk to come through and all of that. And so at the beginning, it was, you know, if your milk doesn't come through then we're going to have to give her a formula. And I was like, okay, well, what about breast milk? Because I know that donor milk is an option. And, but they didn't give me that option until I asked for it. And so they were like, well, yeah, we can give you donor milk, but it only, you can only have it up until she's, I think, 34 weeks. So at that time she was born at 31 weeks. So up until 34 weeks, she could be given donor milk, but they don't give babies donor milk after that because it's preserved for the younger babies. And because donor milk is very expensive, the process of getting it prepared for them, administering it to the babies. So I said, okay, that's fine. Let's get her on donor milk. I know my milk will come through. I'm not worried about that. So I was pumping like crazy around the clock every two to three hours doing what the lactation specialist told me to do. And, you know, and with that alone, like my journey was very easy. Like I'm grateful that breastfeeding did not come as a challenge, though. At the beginning, you're kind of thinking, is it going to happen? Because it's a very slow process. You literally get one drop of colostrum and it's like you're celebrating, but you're hoping, okay, I got to get more than that to feed my baby. And I remember those days. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And so I just kept pumping. I kept doing what I was supposed to be doing. And I think the most important part of this, of breastfeeding that helped me get the results I did get was 
my nourishment, especially after I delivered the baby. So, you know, the hospital provides you with all your meals, but this particular hospital didn't have vegan options or at least healthy vegan options that I wanted because I was very intentional about what I eat and making sure not only does it fill my belly, but that it's actually high in nutrition. So my husband, I just love him so much. He cooked me all the foods I wanted, brought me oatmeal, brought me a huge smoothie, brought me salad, brought me food that I could sustain myself for the days that I was in the hospital. So I didn't have to eat any of the hospital food, none of the little crackers and jello cups and all the like sugary things that they bring you. And that helped because with it, and I had coconut water, everything, I was well hydrated, well nourished. And then within a few days, I was producing so much milk. It was just mind boggling. Like the, the lactation specialist was like, wow, you're doing so, so good. And I was catching up to my baby's needs because every day or so they would up her milliliters to from 25 to 30 to 35 to 40. And I just had to make sure I kept up and they would store my milk because I was pumping at the hospital. And even when I would go visit her in the NICU, I would pump at the hospital or bring the milk that I pumped so they could store it in the milk bank to easily access so that she could have easy access to it. And it got to a point where they're like, we don't need any more. <laughs> Mrs. Galden, you don't need to bring any more milk in. We are full <laughs> and just we'll let you know when we need more. So, um, so then I started storing at home and then I ended up donating about 400 ounces to my best friend who just had a baby. And so I felt, so yeah, that just made me feel so good to be able to donate milk to her. But yeah, so going back to this, so then they told me on, I guess like day 11 of her Let's see. No, maybe a week after she was born that they would have to start supplementing her, the breast milk to make it, to increase the calorie intake and to also fortify it with other nutrients and things that my breast milk can't give her. And I was like, okay, well, they said they might, they said they would let me know. Well, they didn't let me know because after some time I started realizing, seeing that the baby was different. She's very gassy. She's uncomfortable. She's spinning up a lot more. And because I'm with her every single day, all day long, I knew my baby and I was like, something is different. And then I asked the nurse and I was like, hey, have they been fortifying my milk with anything? And she said, yeah, they've been giving you, uh, giving her the HMF, human milk fortifier. And it's by a formula company. I won't even name the name, but it's by a formula company that's popular. And I was mortified because they had been giving it to her for 11 days without letting me know, without my consent. And I thought that that was just, that was the ultimate disrespect because everything else they typically had been running by me, but that one thing they did not, they just said that we might, but we'll let you know. They never let me know. And Mm. this, this milk fortifier includes, has dairy in it. So it made sense as to why she was having a dairy reaction to it as far as feeling uneasy, feeling extra gassy. I mean, she's no different than a human being, you know, like an adult human that is lactose intolerant, that's going to be ingesting milk. You're going to feel bubble guts. You're going to feel uncomfortable. So I told them immediately take her off. Like we don't need, she doesn't need that. You didn't ask me. And they were like, well, she needs this. Like she needs more calories. And I'm like, well then give her more milk. And they really tried to like, they tried me, girl. They tried me because they're like, Mm. well, it doesn't work like that. We can't just give her more milk. And I'm like, well, 
if you want to eat more calories, you eat more food, right? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, okay, then give her more milk. And they were just like, okay, you know, and, but you know, your milk doesn't have all the vitamins it needs. I was like, says who? Like, how do you know? You haven't tested my breast milk and you can't say that my milk is any different or that my milk is the exact same as the woman across the hall. And her milk is the exact same as the woman next to her. All of us are different. All of us live different lifestyles, eat different foods, and we're just different beings. So you can't just put us all in a box. And so until you can let me know that my daughter is deficient and she needs this and she needs that, then we're just going to give her my breast milk. And of course, all her labs always came back. She's good. And, you know, all of that. So that's why I just I had to push back on that because they tried to make me feel like I was insufficient, like my breast milk wasn't enough. And especially because they knew I was vegan, they were always like, oh, that's the vegan mom. And you can kind of tell the tone, you know, that comes with that. And that was a little upsetting. But at the end of the day, I just let the numbers, the labs speak for itself. And every single time she came back just fine. She was one of the fastest growing babies in the NICU at the time. They were actually quite surprised that she was leaving in 30 days, considering she was a 31 weeker. So that to me was just like that first moment of I have to advocate for my baby and I have to stand strong. And that and I spent 20 hours in the hospital every single day because Mm -hmm. I felt like I had to guard her, you know, just to make sure, Okay, what are we doing? What's going on? I had hands on everything. I was changing her diaper. I was doing all the stuff at touch time, changing her leads which are the things that monitor her. And I was there, you know, I went home for four hours to shower, pack up more food, love on my husband and kids a little bit and right back to the hospital. And thankfully my husband was such a support at the time, taking care of the house, cooking us nutritious meals, all of that. But it was very stressful. So that was like the main thing that I had to advocate for. But outside of that, I had to make sure they weren't using soap on the baby because they, they did wash her with soap during her first, first bath. Then I realized her skin was so dry and I'm like, okay, no, a newborn does not need soap. She ain't gone nowhere. She doesn't need soap. Just rinse her, (laughs) wipe her down and I'll bring in some shea butter to massage her body with. That's all she needs. And so, yeah, you know, and then also with physical therapy and occupational therapy, these were things that she also was receiving, but I had to also get on the therapist to make sure that they were actually coming to meet with her because they would say, oh, we're going to work with her three times a week. And then five days goes by and I haven't seen anybody. So I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. where's the therapist? Like you, you guys said we were going to do this. So let's stick to that plan. And I don't know if it's they were overwhelmed or what, but I just knew I had to be there to make sure that she was getting the care that she was promised and that she needed. And then 30 days later, after, you know, passing all of her, her car seat test and all the testing, learning how to feed by bottle, all of those things. She left the NICU and we went home and it was such a beautiful day to see her without all of those things on her because she went into the NICU with a CPAP, with a a tube going down her, a feeding tube going down her mouth and all these leads on her and IVs in her arm. And then to go from that to nothing on her in 30 days was just the best feeling ever. I love hearing this story. I remember when everything was going on, I was thinking to myself, I got to get Danny back on the podcast and talk about all of this. Because I was just like, man, the fact that she was able to come home so quickly 
even though you had what nine or ten weeks left when she was born. So mm-hmm. that's incredible. So yep. happy for your family. And so look, now I want to talk about the school bus, okay? Because <laughs> I know you guys are renovating the bus and that's what you're moving towards. That's a plan, right? For you guys to live in a school bus full time for a few months. Just, I guess, to see the the country, right? <laughs> to see America. Yep. So what made you decide to do that? I know that when you met your husband, y'all talked about living off the grid some, and you talked about the plans for the future, but why do you think you both want to do that? Like, what's the motivation behind that? Absolutely. So yeah, we, we definitely were motivated to live off grid because we wanted to have more control over growing our own food and just reducing our footprint because even though we eat plant-based, there's a lot of labor that goes into getting our avocados from Mexico and all of our fruits and vegetables from all over the world. So we wanted to reduce our footprint in that sense and have more control over the quality of the foods that we were eating. And also we just really enjoy being away, you know, like away from the city in the country where we can smell fresh air. We want to build our own homes and tiny homes and things like that and have animals where we can let them roam free. And it's all just a beautiful ecosystem where we're giving back to the earth and all of that. So at the beginning, it was just a, an idea like, okay, yeah, one day maybe we'll live off grid. But then in February, I think with all the stuff that's going on with the pandemic and, you know, talking about food shortages and And we just didn't know the direction of where things were going. So we were like, well, maybe we need to really think about getting off the grid because we didn't want to be controlled by the grid. You know, if there's, we're not able to go to the grocery store, then we need to have a backup plan. And so that led to me telling him about this couple that lives in Panama who they live off the grid, but they started off in a school bus and it was just, it was a small school bus. It was just them two and their dog traveling the country. And the cool part is when they bought the land, they just pulled the school bus onto the land and lived out of the school bus while they cultivated the land and while they build their house and all the things that they needed for the land. So he's like, Oh, well that sounds smart because then we wouldn't have to worry about housing. I mean, as soon as we buy a house, I mean, as soon as we buy the land, we can start living on there. So we looked into school buses. I showed him a couple YouTube videos. I had already been down for the life. I was actually planning before I ever met him, I was planning on buying a van, building it out, doing van life as a solo female woman and exploring the country. And so when I, when this came up, I was able to just effortlessly show him videos because I was like, oh yeah, follow, you know, look at this couple, look at this family. And we found some amazing ideas as far as how to build out school buses to accommodate a larger family. And at that point, Kellen was hooked. He's like, let's do it. A month later, we bought a school bus. We bought a 77 passenger Bluebird All-American school bus. And we're currently, well, and then he went ahead and started demolishing it and ripping out all the seats and we figured out the floor plan and it's been now a few months and he's already gotten most of it done. We're working, we're currently working on the plumbing and the electrical and getting the solar together. But in a few weeks, in a few, maybe a month or two, the bus will be a hundred percent livable off grid We'll have plumbing, we'll have our own solar so that all of the energy that is 
powered in the bus comes from the sun. And then we will be mobile and we'll be able to move about wherever we want to go. So we live in South Florida now, but we want to take the kids to explore all of the United States and then maybe even go into other countries so that they can see Canada and maybe Central America and just see where it takes us. We don't really have a plan on where we want to go. We just know we want to go everywhere. And then eventually we will choose based off of what we you know, have explored, where we might buy some land and then settle down. I love it. That's like a true homeschooling experience for the kids. That's great. Exactly. That's that's what we love too. The kids will do life learning and get to explore. And instead of seeing seeing things in a book, they can see it in person. And, Absolutely. And they've already we've already showed them some YouTube videos on you know some of the places that we're going to visit, some of the national parks, and just some of the beautiful wonders of the United States and, and North America in general. And they are so excited; they cannot wait. They're like, I can't wait. Every kid's going to have their own bunk bed that has their own privacy and all of that stuff. So they're looking forward to that because right now they, sh- they share space. And so they're looking mm-hmm. forward to having their own. So this is truly, even though it's a smaller space, this is truly an upgrade for all of us as far as having our own spaces and then also being mobile and being able to really go wherever we want to go and explore the world with our children. And so that should be happening soon. By 2022, we will be, we will be moving, we'll be rolling. And definitely if you want to follow along, we have an Instagram for the bus. It's called the G bus. So you just go to the underscore G underscore bus and you can see the progress we've made so far. And then once we finish the build and everything, we'll be sharing our travels and what that looks like. Also tell us how to follow your page on Instagram and tell us whatever else you want us to do. Cause I know that you have a preconception course coming out very soon. Is it out or is it about to come out? Right. I'm sure by the time the episode goes live, it'll be out. Yes, it is now live. And so the preconception course is actually one part of the Vegan Mama Academy. And within the Vegan Mama Academy, there's a lot of other courses that help you from preconception all the way through postpartum. We talk about cloth diapering, also plant-based pregnancy, how to support yourself through that with proper nutrition. And But the preconception course is where it's at because that is probably the most intensive of them all. It's preparing you. And honestly, it's a lifestyle course. So even if you're not preparing for pregnancy right now, if you plan on having a child at any point in your life, or even if you just want to get healthy, this course is for you because it's helping you to regain balance in your health and in your body so that you can feel your best and feel strong and feel like, you know, you can really give your baby the best. And so, yeah, if you guys want to follow me, you follow me at damn good vegan on Instagram. That's D A M good vegan. And then also to get more information about the preconception course and all the courses at vegan mama Academy, you can go to vegan academy.com and Oh yeah. And that NICU plan that we were talking about that's in uh-huh. there too. Yeah. So you can definitely see how to prepare for that if you're already pregnant and you're thinking, well, I just want to be sure that I have all my bases covered. That course is in there too. So yeah, so I'm excited about it. And I'm excited about helping all these women and their male partners have healthy, happy babies. Because what we have to do is start leaving a legacy of superb, excellent health. It's all about generational health these days. 
Yes, it is. Danny, as always, it's a pleasure to connect with you. Thank you so, so much for coming on the show to share your story. We look forward to just seeing everything else that's going to happen as the years go on for you and your family. So thank you again for being on. Thank you so much, Monique. I truly appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. All of the show notes will be at brownvegan.com. So check those out. Also, let me know what you thought of this episode. Come hang out with me on Instagram. My handle over there is at brownvegan. Have a great day and I will talk to you next week. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.